Live from the slightly twisted deck bar, it's the Fuji Podcast with Justin Lemieux. Excited to have our next guest join the program. Uh, has spent seven years covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, these last two with The Athletic. He is the beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for The Athletic. So very excited to have Greg Allman uh, join us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Hope you're holding up all right under the circumstances. Yeah, things are, things are going well here. Uh, trying to do uh, best as we can, kind of getting through this. How about yourself? Yeah, very much the same. I, this is a time of year where I, I work from home a lot already, so it's not uh, a huge difference for me. I've got my wife and kids uh, doing the same, working from home, so a little, little crazier around the house. But no, everything's fine, and, and looking forward to the draft here only uh, eight, nine days away. Yeah, the draft is coming up, so we'll get into that for sure here in a little bit. But I do want to start kind of recapping the 2019 Buccaneers season. Uh, started a little bit slow, uh, two and six in their first eight games, but then down the stretch finished five and three in their last eight games. A few games here and there could have gone either way. So this was a team that was very close to potentially being a nine or 10 win team last year. Uh, take me through uh, the transition that happened midway point last year with the Bucks uh, in 2019. Yeah, I think the biggest defense came on the uh, biggest difference came on the defensive side. Um, they were not a very good defensive team in the first half of last year. We're giving up like 30 points a game. Um, had a very young secondary that kind of had to learn on the job. Um, but then kind of flipped a switch, and in the second half of the season, like you said, much better. Um, started getting turnovers, um, started holding their own against the pass. I mean, they had the NFL's number one rush defense, but a lot of that was just how easy it was for teams to throw against them. So um, I think they had a good offense or productive offense all year long, um, but but dealt with turnover issues. Obviously, Jameis Winston led the NFL in interceptions, had five fumbles lost as well. Um, probably didn't have the run game they wanted, but again, you know, an offense that scored enough where normally you'd expect more than uh, a seven and nine season. So yeah, disappointing. Um, but like you said, they won four in a row in, uh, in the second half of the season and, and kind of got back to uh, a step ahead of where they've been the last two years to be seven and nine. Yeah. And I think a lot of the Buccaneer fans watching that second half of the season uh, left them with some excitement going into this 2020 season. So uh, we'll see where it goes. Obviously the front seven on that defense are, uh, pretty big names uh, that a lot of people around the NFL know. And, and the back four in the secondary are young. Um, so we'll see if if they can kind of grow a little bit this upcoming season uh, for, for the Buccaneers. Uh, but I do want to kind of mention or at least touch base on Jameis Winston. Um, obviously a very difficult puzzle to figure out. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on Jameis Winston, what he did in, in uh, Tampa Bay, and, and where you think he'll end up moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's surprising that here we are almost a month, almost a month after free agency and he's unsigned. But I think at this point for him and for Cam Newton, I think these guys are, are really just kind of waiting to find the best opportunity. The last thing you want to do is sign on somewhere where you think you have a, a clear path to the starting job. And then uh, I think about Mike Glennon when he signed with the bears and it looked like he'd have a real chance to start. And then they go and take Mitch Trubisky at number two overall. So I, I think to wait until after the draft, it's not really even about money for these guys anymore so much as, as, as what teams give them a chance to compete for a starting job and not need a, a starter to get hurt for them to get on the field. Um, so, you know, it's funny. You go back two months and we're sitting here talking about whether or not the Bucks should be franchise tagging Winston at $27 million. Is it a risk to have him hit the open market and risk losing him? And obviously the Bucks did very well to be able to get Tom Brady um, – as their new quarterback and especially to get him for only $25 million a year. So uh, for Winston, like I said, I, I think some of this is unfortunate on his part because the, the restrictions in place with coronavirus make it harder for teams to 
evaluate players and, and judge recovery. He had a very minor knee surgery with a, a meniscus that was repaired. It's, it's not anything that will impact even training camp, um, but it, it makes it all the more important that teams are able to have their own people look at him and check him out and just give him a clean bill of health. So I think uh, between that and winning his life the draft, it, it could very well be that this time two weeks from now, there are, we know where Cam Newton is playing. We know where Jameis Winston is playing. And they have a chance to, to beat somebody out this fall if, if everybody's playing football. Yeah, and I think it does come down to the opportunity to play, like you mentioned, and kind of putting yourself in a position, uh, a position to succeed, having those offensive weapons, uh, you know, that you want around you. So we'll definitely see what happens. But you did mention Brady and the Buccaneers signing him for the very reasonable price, considering all this, all the success that he brings along with him. What do you think were the factors that brought Brady into Tampa? Yeah, I think once he made the decision to move on from the Patriots, um, what probably helps Tampa Bay the most, uh, I think, first of all, some other things that helped is just Tennessee being kind of loaded around his hand and, and wanting to re-sign him kind of took them out of the equation. But you know, the things that Brady has talked the most about, I think, first of all, I think Bruce Arians is a coach who has a reputation of working with some of the best quarterbacks in the league, um, going back to Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck and Ben Roethlisberger, even Carson Palmer. Um, so I think he he's seen as an offensive mind who can work. I mean. Brady has had a defensive head coach his whole career. I think he's had some very good offensive-minded coaches he's worked with in terms of guys like Charlie Weiss and Bill O'Brien and Josh McDaniels. Um, but here you have a, an offensive head coach, um, which is something new for him, and a guy that's seen as being fairly creative offensively. Um, I think he has better weapons to throw to than he's had in New England in quite some time. Um, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both made the Pro Bowl last year, both went over 1,000 yards. Um, you know, Brady hasn't had a receiver make the Pro Bowl since 2013. He's had guys in his past. You go back, and, and Randy Moss obviously was a huge talent for him. Wes Welker. Uh, I think Julian Edelman has been a, a great receiver that he's had an amazing chemistry with. But in terms of just talent, uh, those two will make your job easier as a 43-year-old quarterback in the NFL. Um, so I think those are two things. I think the logistics of being on the East Coast and, and closer to where he wants family to be probably help them as well. Yeah, all those factors definitely had to play into it. And I think, uh, you know, those offensive weapons, like you mentioned, not to even mention Cameron Brait and O.J. Howard, that we've seen uh, definite flashes in the past of, of what they can be. Um, obviously, Cameron Brait being around for a little bit longer. Um, so we'll see what they can become under Tom Brady. So very exciting to see that. I guess uh, you know, the Buccaneers uh, obviously haven't made the playoffs since 2007 uh, in a def very competitive division. Uh, it seems like they've been in one of the competitive most competitive divisions for the past decade with Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton. Uh, is Brady that piece that turns them around into being the playoff team they can be and, and maybe securing their first playoff win since the 2002 Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly the hope here, and I don't think – um, I don't think Tom Brady would have come here if he didn't think that was the case. So uh, it's hard because Brady's been in the playoffs 17 times and the Bucks, like you said, haven't been since 2007, haven't won since 2003. Uh, so it's two very different experiences coming together. But I do think, um, I think the division is still probably seen as the Saints to lose because they've done so well the last three years uh, on top of the NFC South. But I think it just puts even more on these, these two Brady Breeze showdowns we're going to have um, you know, that's, that's the top two quarterbacks in NFL history in yards and touchdowns. So that'll just be huge, huge matchups. And the teams that, that win those are probably going to win the NFC South the way it looks right now. And we, we talked about the offensive weapons at the position, uh, I guess, uh, position uh, skill positions, I should say, sorry. 
Um, let's say we're watching this in two weeks from now, the draft is over or the Monday, even after the draft, what, what direction do you want the Buccaneers to go in the draft that you think would be best for the franchise? Yeah. I mean, I think most people would, would start with offensive line and finding a new right tackle. Um, their right tackle for the last I don't know, seven, eight years, DeMar Dotson was not resigned. He's 34 years old. Um, they've signed a guy named Joe Haig from the Colts. Who's a kind of a, a bridge type, a guy that could step in if they needed him to. Um, but he's only making like $2.3 million. You don't pay someone that you expect to be a starting tackle in this league, $2.3 million. So I think the obvious choice for that number 14 pick in the first round is offensive tackle. Um, there's Most people tell you there's four really good tackles at the top of this draft, and it's just a matter of whether three of those go in the top 13 picks, four of those go in the top 13 picks. I think if one of those four is there at 14, it makes a lot of sense for the Bucks to take him. Um, I'm sure they'll add a pass catching running back. I think they'll add depth at receiver, um, probably depth at defensive line, outside linebacker. I'll be curious to see what they do at safety. Um, there's plenty of, of needs in terms of addressing depth and adding youth to positions that haven't had a lot of draft picks in recent years, but I think it definitely starts at offensive tackle. And you have Ronald Jones sitting there at starting as the starting running back for the Buccaneers. Is there a thought that they might draft a running back to maybe uh, just back him up um, depending on his production early in the season? Is that a thought? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, they, their number two last year was a guy named Peyton Barbary who was not re-signed. He's since signed with Washington. Um, and he was probably the more disappointing half of that platoon, if you will. Um, I think they like Ronald Jones as a primary back. Um, they've talked a lot about wanting to add a pass catching back. If you, if you look at Tom Brady's offenses in New England the last couple of years, uh, especially with James White, um, he's had more than 100 receptions to, to running backs in each of the last three years. So that's something he's very comfortable with, something he's very used to. Um, I think the Bucs definitely want to identify a back who can fill that role, um, either competing with Ronald Jones as the primary back or, or just complimenting him and coming on the field in a, in a third down and hurry up type situations. Um, so yeah, I mean, whether that right now, the question is whether that's a high draft pick, like the second round and number 45 overall, where, you know, depending on how things fall, you could get one of the top, uh, three or four backs in the draft there. Um, you look at a guy like Clyde Edward Tolaire from LSU who had 55 catches last year. He fits the bill really well. Um, they just put a second round pick into Ronald Jones two years ago. So it's a little, you don't see it often where teams put high picks that close together on running backs. Um, but if they feel like that's a need and that's something that takes some of the pressure off Brady, um, if, if that's where the talent lines up in the second round, you could see that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they wait until the third or fourth round. Um, we did a mock draft two weeks ago, and I had them taking Cam Akers from Florida State in the third round. So that, that's also a possibility. But I would be surprised if, if they, they don't address running back at some point in, in the middle of rounds of this draft. Yeah, I do like the uh, I do like the idea of a Cam Akers type player uh, later in the draft, more of a value pick there, but also um, maybe a guy like um, the LSU running back with the the ability to catch out of the backfield. We've seen Brady do that for so long uh, that it would be a little bit weird to not see that uh, at least as a part of the offense. So we'll see we'll see what happens there. Um, it's exciting uh, for sure as a Bucks uh, supporter, I guess, being here in Florida, being able to watch them as much as I can. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, my last question for you is with the new uh, uniforms coming out, what are your thoughts on the new uniforms and a potential comeback of the creamsicles? Do we need creamsicles back in the NFL world? Yeah, it's, it's been fun. And some fans here were hoping for and waiting for, for a long time. And they finally rolled them out last week. 
Um, it, it's just a nod for the most part. It's a nod back to the Super Bowl era and kind of the, the pewter and red look you saw uh, back when they were at their best, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I think people do like the all pewter number, the kind of the color rush they have um, that we'll probably see about three times this fall. And definitely in all this, if there's something people are upset about down here, it's not having the creamsicle, not having that orange look. Um, there's been a lot of talk that next year, that in 2021, the NFL is going to allow for a second helmet, um, which makes it a lot easier logistically to have a, a creamsicle look um, as kind of, a, I think it's still just going to be a, a once a year throwback type game. But for fans here, that's something they'd be very excited about. They haven't worn the creamsicles in Tampa since 2012, I think. So it, it's a long time coming, but uh, very popular with fans. I'm sure they'll, they'll sell a million of them if they do that next year. Yeah, not only among fans in Tampa, but I think the creamsicles are obviously a staple of NFL uniforms dating back to the uh, 70s and 80s. So it'd be great to see them make a comeback. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun to watch. But uh, Greg, I appreciate you being here. It's been great talking Buccaneer football with you, and uh, we'll see what they do this upcoming week in the draft, all right? All right. Thanks again. You take care. Stay safe. All right, Greg. You as well.